Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody and welcome back to the Fenway Rundown Mass Lives Red Sox podcast. I'm your host Chris Catillo, and today with the Houston Astros in town, a uh, a friend of the program, even though I'm not sure you actually appeared on this particular program uh, before, is joining us. We have Chandler Rome, who does a very good job covering the Astros for the Houston Chronicle, and uh, we're both a little bit tired as we record on uh, Tuesday morning after a game that, with the rain delay, went about uh, five hours last night. But uh, still, I appreciate you hopping on. Yeah, no problem. Huh? No better way to wake up than do this, I guess. Right, exactly. Um, so we won't kind of get into you know the ins and outs of last night's game. We'll take kind of more of a big picture, a broad view here because um, you know we've seen a lot of each other in the last few years since you know we've each been on our respective beats, and that's because the Red Sox and Astros, um, you know, when they play in the regular season, they're big series, or they've been playing in the playoffs kind of frequently. So you know, it seems like you know not a traditional rivalry. It's not Red Sox Yankees, but you know, considering they played three times in the playoffs in the last five years, considering the Alex Cora storylines, all that type of stuff. Do you view this at this point, you know, as a legitimate rivalry between the team? I mean, I don't know. I guess everyone can define rivalry in a different way. I think these are two of um, the best teams in the American League, the most well-run teams in the American League um, every year. And I think that just in and of itself breeds good competition and it breeds good games. And you know, good games can turn into rival. I mean, look, there's no, I don't know of any rivalry that's just completely lopsided one way or the other, where one team just beats the hell out of the other one. And that's not this one. I mean, these are always compelling games. It it doesn't seem to matter where the teams are in the standings or the records. Um, They do, you know, they get up for one another. And I think as long as Alex Cora is managing the Red Sox, I think that'll always be um, the big storyline every time because the Astros, I mean, Fair or not, Astros fans um, do view Alex Cora as something of a pariah, as mm-hmm. something of a of a villain, because um, Rob Manfred did paint, you know, Alex Cora as a ringleader of the sign ceiling scheme in 2017, and I think a lot of Astros fans, um, not only that, but they look at it as you know, Cora served his time and then was rehired by the Red Sox. Um, the Astros now have to look at AJ Hinch managing the Tigers and. You know, there's just kind of there's a lot of kind of nuance and a lot of kind of weird vibes every time that comes up. But I think as long as Cora is there and look, it's not because Alex Cora has been um, has been critical of the Astros or anything like that. I just think as long as his presence is there, it's going to just manifest itself in some sort of natural rivalry. Yeah, I remember being in Houston last year and and he got booed, um, you know, and we'll get into booing in a second. But um, is it? Do you feel like, you know, and this is going back to when the report came out, do you feel like it was a, a legitimate effort by Astros players to, 
kind of paint Cora and Carlos Beltran as the guys who are like, okay, they are not in the organization anymore. So they're kind of the easy guys to throw under the bus. Or is it more complicated than that? I mean, every time there, every time in that aftermath in 2020, before the world shut down in spring training, every time Carlos Beltran or Alex Cora were brought up to players in an on record setting, they made it a point to say, you know, this was a team thing. We all could have done something. Yeah. AJ Hinch, AJ Hinch has taken the high road in that regard to saying, you know, he should have called a team meeting and stopped it. Um, Jeff Luno has not taken such a high road. Um, mm-hmm. Don't really know where he's at. Um, but I, I think um, I think the players didn't want to throw them under the bus on the record. Um, I, I think certainly the, the difference and, you know, maybe we get into the Yankee letter. I don't I really don't want to. But <laughs> I think with that coming, I think with that coming out, you kind of rehashed everything from the two separate investigations. You know, um, the Astros players went in there and told the truth. Yep. And I, I think, you know, obviously having my fires on the record uh, is a little bit different than anything else. But um, the, the players went in there and told the truth and um, you saw the results of it. And I think that I don't want to say scared away, but I think that certainly gave a message to anyone else under investigation. Maybe don't talk uh, because it came out like that and that's how it went. So, um, you know, I think there's still respect for Alex Cora. I think just man to man, you know, guys like Martin Maldonado um, really likes Alex Cora. Carlos Correa is no longer here, but um, obviously he and he and Cora are very tight. And look, there, there's still relationships in that clubhouse that go beyond baseball on the field. But um, I, I just think it's again, as long as Alex is present, I, I just think it'll always be it'll always be a storyline. You know, 10, 15 years down the road. Of course, still managing the Red Sox. All these 2017 guys from the Astros could be gone, but it'll still be just some storyline there. Yeah, and I was going to ask you that too. I mean, it seems like you know, yesterday, even in the press conference room, you know, he's going and making sure, give, making a point of you know, giving a hug to you know the Astros broadcasters who are in the room, and you see him going over before the game. I mean, it's not necessarily frosty with everybody. I remember, you know, he, he talks about obviously you know Correa all the time, and I was happy that he was in. Fort Myers for spring training and in the same spot so they could hang out. Um, obviously, you know, George Springer's a guy that he still remains close to, you know, being in the same division gets to see a lot of him. And in Detroit, when we were there earlier this month or earlier this year in April, you know, Cora and AJ Hinch, you know, sat behind home plate and, and talked and were laughing and joking around for probably 20, 25 minutes before one of the game. So it doesn't seem like, you know, those relationships are fractured at all. Are you surprised at how, you know, considering how dramatic and how, um, you know, tough the situation was, you know, not undeserved, obviously, but are you surprised that um, they've kind of all been able to move past that considering, you know, guys were, you know, the players were obviously not punished and guys like AJ and Alex were. Yeah, I, I think just, and you know, AJ and Alex, well, I think given their yeah. personalities and given kind of how they were viewed in the game, I mean, they, no one had a bad word to say about them before this. Right. Um, you could find very few people that had problems with AJ Hinch or, or Alex Cora before this all went down. So it kind of, even when the suspensions came out and when both men were fired, you kind of had a suspicion that they were going to get back in the game, that they were too well-liked, that they had, um, that this was a mistake. This was a large mistake, but it was, it was just that it was a mistake and and people are afforded a right to atone for their mistakes. And you kind of knew that they would Um, Jeff Luno, on the other hand, you kind of knew that that was not going to happen because of just the complete opposite, the way he was viewed in the game, the way, um, the way he went about his business, the way he treated some people. 
Um, you just kind of knew that 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 baseball was pro- he was probably not going to get back in the sport. So no, it, it hasn't really surprised me. Um, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that Hinch Cora conversation in Detroit. Yeah. Uh, the a couple of the beat I don't know if it was you, but a, a few of the beat writers tweeted the picture of it. And when I retweeted one of them, the the captions that were flying around were they range from vile to hilarious. So mm-hmm. I can only imagine I can only imagine what those two guys had to chat about. I think. For me, something that's always been interesting is it does seem like, you know, how Cora's relationships with the Astros are now. There are a lot of ones that have been very much repaired if if they had to be repaired at all. You know, some I think, you know, they stuck together throughout the whole process, whatever it may be. One of them that, that always stands out to me that it seems like there's a fracture is with Alex Bregman. Um, you know, it seems like, you know, they, those guys were super tight. I remember in 2018 or 2019, you know, LSU and Miami faced off in football and Alex had to wear an LSU jersey during BP and it was talking about how him and Bregman really connected. And now you don't see that anymore. And, and when asked about him last year, Alex Cora was just saying, you know, he's a good player. Now, what's Bregman's role in all of this? And is he kind of in a different boat than everybody else? I know you know him well as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to figure out. Um, you know, Alex has, has gotten a little bit, and, and again, you said it, I, I've known him, so I've covered him since his freshman year of college, so yeah. I've really seen him um, grow and mature a little bit. And he's, um, I, I don't want to say he's closed off since the scandal, because he hasn't. He's very accessible. He's very personable. Um, he's willing to He's willing to engage, and he's always willing to talk baseball. So I don't want to say he's closed off, but just publicly, how he portrays himself on the record um, has become a lot more polished, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's not a lot of, you know, when he came up in 17, 18, 19, it was a lot of swag, a lot of um, bragging, a lot of, you know, just arrogance, really. I mean, and, and it was a good sort of arrogance, good for the game, and he could back it up because he was really, really good, and he still is, but I, I just think he, he's polished. He's become a little more polished. Um, he did change agents to Scott Boris. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but, um, and he's, very much exploring other ventures too. I recently wrote about, you know, he has a horse racing company now. Yeah, everyone may know he now makes his own salsa. He, he's got other ventures outside of baseball that I think he's trying to market himself maybe as more than just a baseball player, even though baseball is, I mean, his, his obsession and, and his first love. So as far as his relationship with Cora, I, I really can't speak on that because I, I don't know very much. I haven't really asked out. I haven't really asked Bregman about it and I don't want to speak out of turn, but um Bregman has um I will say you know he, he's changed himself a little bit publicly since since everything in 2020 came out and and I mean I'm not saying that that's a bad thing at all he's just it's just been a different kind of dose of Alex Bregman yeah I think that comes you know with time with certain guys as they you know mature from you know rookies to leaders on the team and not being in there every day I don't know for sure but I I assume that you know with Springer gone and Correa gone and some of these other guys that he's you know kind of turned into somewhat of a leader yeah, um, you know, him and then, you know, they've got Justin Verlander, obviously, and he, yep. he leads in kind of a, di- a different way, just kind of by presence and just kind of being Justin Verlander. I think Michael Brantley is certainly um, one of those quiet guys that everyone kind of looks to and follows. And then I think, you know, the leader of this team, it's kind of weird because they don't, you know, Correa left such a massive void. Correa was the voice, the presence and everything. So now they're having to get a lot of different contributions from a lot of guys, just from my perspective in the clubhouse, from the little bit we're in there and kind of how we see them uh, go. But Martin Maldonado um, is really, I think, if I had to pick one guy that I would say this guy is probably the, uh, I, I struggle to say the leader because I think they have a bunch, but 
Maldonado is really the guy that that makes the clubhouse go and look I mean the offense is not there he's never been a good offensive player but Mm -hmm. um, the way he handles the pitching staff and especially this pitching staff with a lot of young Latin pitchers on it you know they look up to Maldonado as something of like a father figure as an uncle as one of those sort of things and I really think Maldonado is the guy that is stepping into that leadership role even if he's not maybe the best performing player on the team I think his leadership can't go understated either yeah and one thing I did want to ask you we talked about this yesterday in the press box but you know not super Red Sox related but just the change that you've seen in Justin Verlander this year and you've you've said that it's something that um, has been notable yeah he he is um, it was kind of funny he took a no hitter into the eighth inning in Minnesota uh, two starts ago and you know, we were asking, obviously, we, we talked to him after the start, and he was he was happy and cheerful. And he even said, you know, Bregman made a nice play for him during the no-hitter. And he said after the inning, I believe it was in the sixth inning, he said he went up to Bregman in the dugout after. And I don't know if you've ever seen a little big league, but when Bowers pumps his glove uh, and gets the defensive plays behind him, um, Furlander went up and did that to Bregman during his start. And Bregman, of course, looked at him like he had 10 heads, maybe because Bregman and Bregman was born the same year Little Big League came out. Yeah. But also, it's like Justin Verlander was like laughing during his start. Like he was talking to people. And like that is so and and that's the antithesis of what Verlander was before surgery. And I think you're seeing maybe a more lighthearted Justin Verlander. You're seeing a guy that is not um this F you like. I'm pitching like I, this is my day, like F everything in front of me. Look, he still wants to win. I mean, he's still as competitive as anyone. And obviously the results have been what they've been. He's been as good, if not better than ever. But um, I just think it's a little, um, I, I think he gained a lot of perspective being out of the game for two years. Um, obviously he's got a daughter at home and he got to watch her grow up. I think she's about three and a half now. So that coincided with her, his surgery and rehab really coincided with her really growing up and, having the ability to see that and become a father on top of having the game kind of taken away from him. And quite frankly, not knowing if he was going to come back. I mean, he had Tommy John at 37 years old. I mean, 39 year olds aren't supposed to come back from Tommy John surgery and be on track to throw 200 innings, but Verlander's a freak. He's a freak of nature and he's doing it now. And, um, but I think the thought in his mind, the game could have been taken away from him. And seeing his, his kid and seeing, you know, that there are other things in life than base. I think that's given him a new perspective. He's been um, far more uh, cheerful. He's been far more, acce- uh, and this is purely from a selfish perspective, he's been far more accessible in, in the club. But he's always been, he was always great after his starts talking, but between starts, he's been a lot more present in the clubhouse. He's been a lot more chatty. Um, and that's not just with reporters, that's with everybody. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'll say this, I saw, um, when we were in the clubhouse before Monday's game, he was going around asking who was playing center field. And it was Chaz McCormick and Michael Brantley was in left and Mauricio Dubon, the new acquisition was shortstop. And Verlander was going around the clubhouse, like desperately trying to find Mauricio Dubon to tell him, look, if there's a ball hit in the left center gap, the shortstop needs to run and back up because I've seen that so many times here. And it just came out of nowhere that Berliner was like, I have to tell them this. And like, he got them together and saying, that was a really cool scene to see. Not that, I mean, I'm sure Berlander's done that in the past. Uh, Maybe we just haven't been able to see it in the clubhouse, but to see that and to see him be so eager and, you know, to teach and to, you know, impart the wisdom to a brand new guy, Mauricio Dubon, making his first start as an Astro. I thought that was another sign maybe that, that Justin Berlander, this is kind of a different, 
this is a different guy and same results, but take maybe Dick taking a different path toward those results. It's interesting because we've, you know, seen that here with Chris Sale. You know, I know he's hurt now and um he's away from the team again, but just during his Tommy John rehab, you know, we get to zoom with him a couple of times. It was like he's, you know, not looking at, you know, every start as life and death. He's kind of finding himself and um, you know, a lot of his rehab in 2020 was down completely alone at the the JetBlue Park facility said he's showering off with a hose and getting to know minor leaguers and all this stuff like just kind of changed his whole mentality and now I think he thinks he's you know a lot more grounded he's been very open and honest with us about you know don't feel like a baseball player I'm letting the team down you know after signing a big contract but maybe there's something about these you know veteran pitchers you think they've accomplished it all and it takes you know real setback or real adversity for the first time ever to kind of change them. Yeah, and I think something that doesn't get talked about a lot, you know, old pitchers or young pitchers, Tommy John is Tommy John rehab is such an isolating, just ostracizing experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, having to be, I mean, you know, Lance McCullers, when he went through it a couple of years ago, I mean, he was in West Palm Beach the whole time. Justin Verlander was obviously, he, he trains at Cresty in Palm Beach, so he was there. But, I mean, it's an ostracizing feeling to not be around your teammates, to not be, I mean, and it's, and it is such a slow process too. Like, I mean, if you play catch from 50 feet, that's like a, a milestone. And for a guy like Verlander, for any of these pitchers that like just want to go pedal to the metal hundred percent all the time, you know, that's gotta be a really, really difficult thing to, to combat. So I think a lot, I mean, I think it all kind of coalesces into one, you know, this is a, it's, you know, Tommy John surgery has become so in vogue that everyone just sort of presumes it's going to work. Yep. But I, I don't think there's enough appreciation for the grueling rehab that, you know, comes after it and that there are no guarantees. I mean, mm-hmm. Justin Verlander says it all the time. You know, there was no guarantee he was going to be able to come back from this because, you know, he's a unicorn and he's defied aging forever, but he's still 37. I mean, he's 39 now, but he was 37 when he had the surgery. So um, just the, uh, maybe sale feels the same way. Just like the thought that this game could be taken away from you. And I, I guess from those two specifically, like, you know, they've probably never failed much yeah. you know, aside from a few bad starts, you know, maybe a bad stretch of starts. There has not been a ton of like perpetual failure for them. Like, and not that Tommy John is a failure, but you maybe hit on something like maybe they feel like they are letting the team down. Maybe they feel like they're not living up to the huge lofty potential they have for themselves. And maybe that does, lend them a a whole different perspective and now this is you know other than just some starts last year and you saw in the playoffs not the sharpest version of chris sale now three seasons you know really interrupted by injury and and it doesn't look like he's going to pitch before they're probably right around the first of july at this point after another setback one thing i did want to get to kind of you know what we were talking about a minute ago it was kind of striking to me last night you know you get accepted it maybe expected during the playoffs or expected a couple years ago but the loud booing for altuve um is that something that's going on at every ballpark or is it now kind of spotty and, and just kind of what's your reaction to it, that it's still going on for certain guys. Maybe I'm just desensitized to it, but I, I didn't think it was that bad last night until after the rain delay, when everyone was liquored up. I mean, yeah. when, when everyone, I mean, everyone that sat through that hour and a half rain delay, they came back, they, they were having a good time. Mm-hmm. And so, they were all I mean, right the, on top of the field too. Yeah. So the booze were going to be loud, but before that, you know, I, I really didn't, it really didn't hit me that much. And maybe again, cause I've been, I've been on the road with them since this whole thing started. So maybe I'm just kind of desensitized to the booing, but I do think it's become less pronounced this year. Um, now, granted, we have not been to New York yet. <laughs> the Astros go to New York for 
they actually play the Yankees for four in Yankee Stadium, have an off day, and then play two at City Field. So it's a good road trip they, for you. They have seven. They have seven straight days in New York, which that could be hellish. And then you know the, the All Star game this year is in Dodger Stadium, which mm-hmm. is also not going to be great for them. And I don't think that they can do what they did last year and all find reasons to opt out of the all-star game because (laughs) dusty baker is managing the all-star game and i don't think you want to hang your manager and your coaching staff out to dry so Mm -hmm. um i think there will be some astros there and i don't think it'll be a great response um but i do think you know and and i'll give the fenway folks credit like and, and i don't want this to come out the wrong way but they're booing the right people yeah and you know it's the guys that were on the 2017 team are the ones getting booed you know, no, I, I've seen a far fewer boos for Jordan Alvarez, for Kyle Tucker, for Jose Siri, Chaz McCormick. I mean, guys that were nowhere near the big league club in 17. Um, I've seen less boos for them gradually. And even with Altuve, Bregman, and Guriel, I mean, every now and then you'll, and it, it, it never fails to. It's always like when they come up to bat, no one notices, but it's like when they, it's like, Everyone at once looks up at the scoreboard and like a one-one count, like, oh, Altuve's up. We got to start booing him. And it's right. like they'll start booing him after four pitches. And it's like, well, that's dumb. <laughs> um, I thought it was interesting when we went to Toronto. Um, George Springer did not play against the Astros last year at all because he was hurt in both series. Mm-hmm. But when we went to Toronto and Springer was in the lineup, there was no booing. There was no booing for the Astros. There was no like nothing. So oh. I thought that that's was just pretty Canadians sp- are just much nicer, right? maybe or maybe then maybe they're just kind of smart to realize that hey you know springers springer was a part of that too and they well, red, red sox fans didn't put together the alex gore connection and having you know, Mar- marvin gonzalez on the team briefly last year either well that's gonna be weird when the astros go to new york marvin gonzalez is like an integral part of the yankees now and yeah. you can go look at the numbers and you can go look at the numbers there there is no one that statistically benefited more from the 2017 scheme than marvin gonzalez yeah, well, he, he needed it last year as he was you know, DFA'd by, by the end of the first half. Last thing for you, we talked about Carlos Correa. I, I do want to talk about the link between him and Xander Bogarts. I think there's been comparisons, you know, with those two guys for, for a while now. Um, you know, I think everybody would say Correa is obviously a, a better defender and maybe give Bogarts the edge offensively. You know, different players who play the same position on two contenders for a while. Um I don't know how closely you've been following the Bogart situation here. You probably noticed last night, you know, the re-signed Xander chance in the eighth inning before he hit that home run. But uh, Red Sox low-balled him during spring training. He's not happy about it. Um, from afar, it seemed like the Astros and Correa could never get on the same page on a contract. And obviously, it didn't work out because he signed in Minnesota. Do you, you know, from afar, see any parallels between these two? Well, I mean, there was parallels last night. I mean, they, they were chanting pay Correa uh, at the end of last season and then yeah. made park and into the postseason, And you know, that didn't work. Um, I, I, there are some parallels, you know, the Astros did low ball Carlos Correa in spring training last year, but the, the, the difference was Correa wasn't upset by it. I think Correa, and I, I've, I've never spoken to Xander Bogart, so I don't want this to be a slight to him, but mm-hmm. I think Correa maybe more than any player I've ever covered just completely understands this is a business and that he's not, you know, he has a lot of relationships with the Astros, a lot of personal relationships, but he was not going to let that get in the way of the business of this thing. And he was going to take what he felt was his fair market. And when it didn't materialize, um, I still have questions as to why the Astros didn't do the deal the twins did because it's a deal that quite frankly they are 
known to do. They are known to do the short-term big AAV deals. <clears throat> now, um, two months into the season, Jeremy Pena is making that look, you know, pretty silly because he's yep. been the Astros' best player by war. And, you know, you've got to give them at least some credit for that, for developing him and, and trusting him to go out there. But again, we're only two months into the season. I'd like to see that. I'd like to see Correa and Pena's war numbers in August and September. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think, you know, it's going to be, and I think the Red Sox just as a franchise, maybe have more that they're used to this, maybe a little bit more watching a, a guy go in a big name guy, go into free agency and do the negotiations that way. Like the Astros, that's only recently been a thing with Springer who left for Toronto with, Cole, who was not even a homegrown guy, but just a guy that was so good for them. But yeah, they, both of those guys, you kind of knew, like the writing was on the wall. Uh, with Correa, though, it, it felt real. Like it felt like if they were going to re-sign any of them, it was going to be him. And then it just didn't materialize. So um, I, I think, you know, certainly Correa is going to opt out after this year, barring just that he gets injured or he just has a dreadful year. Um, he's going to opt out and he and Bogarts will be in the same market and you know, I think it's a fascinating comp, and I think they're both kind of seeking the same thing, right? They're seeking that 10-year, $300 million mm-hmm. deal, and I think certainly Correa has proved that he's probably worth that. He's probably worth somewhere in that category, and I'd probably say Bogarts is probably right behind him. I'd probably, if you're looking at the shortstop market next year, um, I think Trey Turner's in it, right? Yeah. I, I'd probably put, you know, those three are at the top, and then I'd have trouble ranking A, B, and C there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I like all three of those players. You know, maybe I'm biased having watched Correa for as long as I did, but there's not a better defender in baseball. And then, you know, the offense is just streaky. But uh, I think, you know, those three guys are going to be battling for a lot of money next year. And it seems like, you know, based on, you know, what they're worth on the field, you know, even putting that aside for a second, just what they're both worth to the clubhouse. I mean, Bogarts is the de facto c- captain around here. It sounds like Correa was the same. Is that worth in your mind, you know, even extending yourself a little further just for that stability, just that guy? Well, the Astros didn't think so. Right. And so far, the Red Sox haven't thought so either. Uh, But like, like I did say, you know, they, they do have enough leadership in that club. And I think the, with the Astros, like the culture is so entrenched um, that one guy leaving wasn't going to just completely disintegrate the clubhouse, no matter how good he was, no matter how big of a presence he was. Um, but I, I think that's maybe something in today's game that doesn't get valued like it should. Like, I mean, on a lesser note, like the Astros traded Miles Straw at the trade deadline last year. And like, he was one of the most beloved players in that clubhouse. And like, to the point where Miles Straw, who plays for the Cleveland Guardians and is still like, he just got a big contract extension from them. He still attends Astros games when he can, when he can right. on his off days. Like, that. Like if they're in the same city or if like they overlap, like he will come to an Astros game. Like that is how beloved he was in the clubhouse and how much guys love him. Like, but like they just, you know, it's a base, it's a business and they had to trade him and they thought they had to trade him for Phil Maton and that, that's what they did. But um, it's, it's one of those things that I, I, again, you can't put analytics on it. You know, this is, you can't assign a value to it. There's no number to quantify clubhouse presence or leadership or chemistry, but um you know, the Astros kind of felt that Correa provided that. And they're, you know, I think nothing illustrated it further than like Jim Crane released a statement mm-hmm. when Carlos Correa signed elsewhere. He didn't do that for Cole. He didn't do that for Springer. He didn't do that for Keiko. Like it, this was a different one. And uh, I think they felt okay with obviously with Pena coming on the field, but I think they felt okay off the field with kind of the, 
the culture that they had created that one person wasn't going to defy um, kind of the entire clubhouse. And one thing here, if Xander Bogarts leaves, it makes it more likely that Rafael Devers is willing to play elsewhere because of their close relationship. So um, that's that's the nightmare scenario for Red Sox fans. Yeah, so that's Chandler Rome. I'm Chris Cotillo. We'll both have uh, covered for our respective places over the next two days. Chandler, I really appreciate you hopping on. Yep, thanks.